It's the Auburn Observer Podcast. Justin Ferguson right here. Painter Sharpless over there. Hello, Painter. Howdy, howdy. So, Painter, we've got a lot to get to because Saturday um, they let us watch a practice, an Auburn football practice, and no one got thrown out. No <laughs> one got kicked out. We weren't searching the skies for enemy drones. It was uh, it was a really good day, and we will get into a lot of that. But first, I have got to put this out here for you. It is NCAA tournament time. It is March Madness weekend. We're recording this on Sunday afternoon, and Loyola Chicago just beat Illinois. I want your thoughts real quick on uh, the King Cameron uh, Crutwig, the uh, the big man from, from from Loyola, because he seems like he's your kind of guy. He seems like he's your kind of basketball player, even though he's a big man. He is a big man, but I do think that guy likes to have a good time, and he reminds me of Stavi Baby, so uh, lots of bonus points to him for that. Just an absolute baller, and that really messes up my bracket because I had Illinois in the Final Four. So, oh, yeah. yeah. No bueno for me, but you know what? That's an exciting one. Why were they an eight seed, Ferg? Uh, because the NCAA, you have to prove yourself over and over and over again before you get the respect you deserve in the in the brackets. I mean, they were number nine on Ken Palm. Right. That was so bizarre. You know, and like looking back now, I feel foolish. Not, you know, because like that's to me the, the, the easiest way – to gauge things sort of in a non-biased way is, is off of Ken Palm. And uh, I should, I mean, that should have circled that. I, I cannot believe that they are an eight seed. And the, and, the, and the thing that bugged me also about it is, is like, if you look at their strength of schedule, if you look at their strength of schedule, um, it's a little behind where Houston and San Diego State were, you know, two comparable mid-majors um, in terms of the way they play. They're just a little behind them. Houston was a two seed and San Diego State was a six seed. So, like, I mean, I'm not saying it would have been tough to make the argument that they're probably a top four seed, even though they play like a top four seed. Um, but uh, shout out to uh, shout out to our guy Cameron Crutwig. Shout out to Porter <laughs> Moser. Shout out to everybody in Chicago. Shout out to Matt Brown. No shout out to Nicole Arbach. Um, but all of our Chicago friends, um, big big win, Sister Jean and, and the gang. I just love Crutwig because he looks like. He looks like uh, he looks like if you took Nikola Jokic and put him in the uh, in the famous SNL sketch, the Superfans uh, sketch. <laughs> um, I feel like that's uh, I feel like that's what the vibe they're going for. And I mean, we've had some big ones. Uh, uh, Oral Roberts uh, winning, proving that the prosperity gospel is real. Um, what else? Uh, Abilene Texas Christian. Lost. <laughs> Abilene Christian beating Texas, which was I mean, it's just. It, this is a tournament where, like, if you just have a feisty as heck defense, you're gonna just just put somebody in a in a sharpshooter just in the middle of the floor. It was Abilene Christian's got a crazy defense. Loyola obviously has got a crazy defense. Uh, Oral Roberts isn't quite at that level on defense. I think they just play a little bit slower and and, and hit a ton of threes. Um, but it's been fun. It's been fun. And uh, just I know for your sanity, painter, oh my god, you, you're having a hard time with it because Alabama. It's who just struggled? Coasting, coasting, who struggled baby. for like thirty minutes uh, with uh, with with uh, Slick Rick Patino and the in the and uh, the in the Gales of Iona? Um, yeah, they're. They, I mean, Alabama's got it kind of made right now. Yeah, the only thing I think that I can lean on is that this has been a wild tournament thus far, and so maybe one of these lower seeded teams that they will face gets the best of them, but I'm not counting on it. It's awful. It really is. I, mean, I will be surprised at this point if they don't make it the, the elite eight at so, minimum. So next up, you have to give all of your support and your, and your energy towards Josh Vitale's Maryland yes. Terrapins. I will be praying Turts. to a turtle, praying to the turtle, you know, snorting old Bay, um, <laughs> eating crab cakes. Um, what else? Where does uh, one, I guess, Amsterdam rocking the flag, the, the best rocking. crab cakes in town? So I might have to swim there. You by go. There. there you go. There you go. Amsterdam. Just just pray to pray to the god. Uh, uh, Gianna Hahn, also a, a native Marylander. Uh, Got to you know. So there's a lot of Auburn energy pointing towards Maryland right now. And uh, I don't so, feel good about it, Josh. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I don't know if I feel good about it either. Uh, but man, uh, Iona hung in there for a while with them, and then Alabama was like, "Wait a minute." <laughs> And it feels like Alabama's done this, you know, a lot of their games down the stretch of the season where they're not particularly shooting the ball well. Like John Petty had a, had a rough game on Saturday, 
but then it was like, oh yeah, we're still really good at defense. Why don't we just do that? It was like Arkansas doing that with Colgate the other day. And it was like Colgate was running, and everybody was like, oh, look out. And then Arkansas looked up and was like, wait a minute. <laughs> we're an SEC we're team. We, can, we have a ton of athletes. This will be fine. Um, but anyway. While uh, they're living rent-free in my head, I will say this has all been exacerbated by Auburn having a great run at the end of its season last year and then everything getting shut down. So it's been yeah. two years since Auburn has been able to play in a tournament. Uh, and of course, Alabama doubling up on the championships. Like I started making concessions partway through conference play, and I was like, "All right, fine, they're going to win the regular season." I was like, "Just no SEC tournament." And then they kept winning and kept winning, and it was like, "All right, they're clearly hands down the best team in the conference." I won't be surprised if they run through the tournament. That's fine. Um, and then you know, all the postseason awards came as they typically do for Alabama. Funny how that works out when media members are voting. But you know what? They had the best team. They, you know, had some have some excellent players. But I, I just, I don't want them making it to the Elite Eight. But God, this was supposed to be our thing. If they make mm-hmm. it to the Final Four, I won't even entertain what's beyond the Final Four. I don't know what to do. Yeah, and and also I think you you even saw it a little bit on on Saturday. I, I still think Alabama basketball fandom is completely built on just messing with Auburn. I think it's like politics. You know how like there's each side just likes to dunk on each yeah. other in yeah, politics. Yeah, that's all, I don't that's even all, know how interested they are now. in like getting material like wins for the program. It's just they like to rub it in Auburn's face. I swear, like a huge portion of their fan base is less concerned with the fact that they now have a very viable and it seems good team, and just excited that they get to rub it in Auburn fans' face. Which hey, you know that's part of a rivalry, but also kind of weird when you consider just how good their team has actually been right yeah i mean i had a uh i had a this this will tell you this will tell you how how lame it is i had you know so i <laughs> tweeted yesterday like hey auburn had about 3500 uh fans at the open practice yesterday and there was like this fake nate oats account which i mean if you are making a if you are making a parody coach account in 2021 like dude you were years behind the never seen any of those before yeah you're years behind an already unfunny dream but it was like oh you figure all these auburn fans be wanting to watch their uh, round of 64 game oh wait uh and it's like dude you have 17 followers and you tweet like you're you you tweet like you're um like evil nate oats or whatever whatever the heck you want to call it because you want to know why nobody really cares that much nobody really cares that much it's all spite it's all spite based which i mean good for you if that's the way you want to go about it Two points, two more basketball points I want to make before we get to, into into football. Number one, the University of Tennessee. Dog, I told what was you, I doing? I told you. We I joked about this, and you. I was like, no, 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 no. They'll win one. They'll win one. Oregon State is not a good basketball team at all, and they took it to Tennessee. Anyway, uh, congratulations to Tennessee on become, uh, being picked to finish first in the is SEC there a next comparable, season. Is there, a, <laughs> is there a comparable football coach that, like, has success, but you just know in your heart of hearts that they are never going to make like win a championship. And and Rick Barnes is an even in more weird territory because like he's not even getting close. Did you see the tweet that's like Rick Barnes has now lost an NCAA tournament game to seeds one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, and thirteen in the NCAA tournament? That rocks. That rocks. That is a <laughs> that was his thing in Texas kind of though man. too. That was his thing in Texas, and I'm trying to think if there is one in, in, in football because, you know, if you get up there in football, right, like you get up there in football, you're going to get over the hump. Like you're going to, you know, it, unless you're Alabama. Like Alabama's had this dominance, but then Clemson made the run and got over it. Ohio State, you know, won a national title. You know, you can't say that about a guy like Urban Meyer or anything like that. Can't say it about Ryan Day. I think it's way too early. I still think it's early to say that about a guy like Kirby, right? Like, Maybe that's He's it. Like maybe in his mid-40s, he should be there for a long time. I right, think but maybe that's it. Eventually. If, like, Georgia can't win a national championship for a few more years, it's going to be like, yeah, all right, Georgia, we see you. Like, okay, you're in the you're in the playoff again on ice. Like, are you going to get over the hump? And, like, it's really, really tough to get there because it's a four-team tournament and not a 64 or 68-team one like you get in basketball. But, yeah. On the other hand, Rick Barnes is, like, losing to teams that they just have no business losing to. And you can – I guess that was Stoops. Wasn't that Stoops' problem? 
when we say Bob Stoops had that problem, pretty much after that first little run he had at Oklahoma. Yeah, that's probably true. They were constantly either playing for titles or playing in New Year's Six Bowls, but it, you know, not what doing did it particularly ultimately well. amount to. Yeah, not not doing particularly well in that. Uh, my second point I want to make is that since we recorded our last podcast, Auburn picked up a transfer in Ooh. basketball, um, and a guy we talked about last week on this very program, um, our boy Zepp Jasper, the Honey Badger. College Charleston's own uh, coming to Auburn. Now Auburn losing Jamal Johnson and Javon Franklin to the transfer to the transfer portal uh, last week. Uh, we also know that um, we also know that Justin Powell has like got this weird thing. There was a report that came out Sunday that um, he had talked to Tennessee and he's gonna mm. talk to Syracuse. Now Syracuse, I can see that. Apparently, he's got family up there orig- from there originally. Tennessee would be. I would I would contend Tennessee would be funnier and more like heel turnish than Kentucky because like Kentucky you just like okay well he's going back home the team that finally gave him a look after not getting him, okay all right Tennessee would just be like you know hello we need offense did you see our NCAA tournament did you see anything we did this season and it would just be a weird turn. and it would like that Auburn Tennessee basketball rivalry would just get somehow even yeah. nastier at that I'm just point assuming these are all smoke signals and that he's still going to Kentucky but just like my Sharif Cooper take that's based on no evidence but Auburn picks up Zepp Jasper uh, from the College of Charleston and the only uh, flicker of optimism I've had on Auburn sports in like a month yeah well I, I mean, guess the you, Tennessee win you could sort of look at that as well as a little bright spot, but I think I'm like genuinely excited about what he adds to this team. Plus I think Jamal, like to me, it seems clear. He probably got the message. Like your minutes are only going down. And for Franklin, it's like, you were already not playing a lot. Wish them both the best. Think that yeah. they'll land on their feet. They're, they're solid players, but I think Auburn has already made itself better with this move. Yeah. I would like to see a guy like Jamal Johnson go to like a UAB and they'd be a starter there. Mm-hmm. I think that would be a heck of a that would be a heck of a move for him. And then Javon Franklin. Javon Franklin's a great bench player in the SEC, but like the front court's only getting tougher with Jabari Smith coming into the picture. Um, so anyway, the, with with Zepp Jasper, by the way, um, and I just spilled something. That's awesome. Um, and so with Je- with with Zepp Jasper coming into the picture for Auburn, uh, you know he is he's a guy that I think hits on one big thing you know this season one of the most telling pieces of you know post-game quotes we got from Bruce Pearl during this season was like hey guys like we're not physically that great in the backcourt uh defending like we don't our guys are not as quick as agile we don't have as great on-ball defenders physically we can talk about all the mental and the maturity and the experience aspects of playing defense but like we don't have the physical traits to be a really good defensive backcourt right now and he was pointing to the fact, you know, Isaac Coro is a cyborg on defense. Um, but, like, guys like Samir Dowdy and Brax Brown, like, were known for being really good on-ball defenders. And nothing to take away from, you know, Jamal Johnson, Devin Cambridge, and Sharif Cooper and those guys. Like, they all obviously can get better as defenders. But, like, they, they aren't those kind of players. Zepp Jasper is one of those players. He's got a reputation as one of the best on-ball defenders in mid-major basketball. His nickname is the Honey Badger because of the way he plays defense – um, can a guy who can play kind of the one or the two? He did a lot of stuff at College of Charleston where he was the primary ball handler. Didn't get a ton of assists, but that's because he was scoring himself a good bit as well. Um, you know, kind of played in a, like a like an even backcourt where you know you had two guards that kind of did some some of the same thing, but a lot of the work went through Jasper. And to be fair, his his college his College of Charleston teammates just weren't that good. This was not a very good team right. last season, but he had really good numbers. Um, is an excellent, uh, excellent free throw shooter, decent three point shooter, gets around the rim and can heat up. He's one of those guys that when you watched him play last season at the mid major level, he kind of had some takeover mentality to him. Um, he had a long stretch of double digit games to end the season. He had a twenty point game and a thirty point game to wrap up his career uh, with the Cougars, and now you're bringing that into Auburn. Now we don't know what Sharif Cooper is doing yet. Uh, the NBA draft projections are continually putting him kind of in the back of the first round range. And I mean that for guys like Sam Vecini at the athletic and some others who like anybody can write a mock draft. It's like in the NFL, right? Like anybody can write a mock draft, but you need to go to the ones who are talking to NBA, who have NBA sources, who ha- who know scouts, who know personnel, who talk to these people and get good information instead of just being like, here's what I think should happen or here's what, and, and you can do those, 
mock drafts and stuff like that, and you see them a lot in the NFL, based off of your kind of take, and that's fine, but what matters is what the guys in the NBA are thinking. I think more now you're seeing less lottery pick status for Sharif and more into the first round. Is that going to be enough for him? Or is there going to be a team out there when he, as a lot of people expect him to do, enters the draft and, and, and gets the magic word from team A, B, or C that says, hey, if you come up and you're still available in the lottery, we'll take you. We don't know that about where they're going at this point, but we do know that Zepp Jasper can come in and do some one, can play some two. Um, if Auburn brings back a guy like Sharif Cooper, I think you add another wing. Uh, Myrion Jones at Penn State's been a guy that, that's been talked about a lot, 20-point scorer almost last year, and a really high, you know, nearly 40% three-point shooter. You do that, you put, them all, you put all that together, um, you've got a strong, strong roster for next season. And, and Jasper might not have to be a star, might not have to be a starter, might not have to pay, play a ton of minutes next season. But like at the very least, defensive dude off the bench who can who can score and, and create his own shot. Those are two areas where Auburn didn't have a whole lot of it last season. Guys who could get their own shot and guys who were really good guard defenders. And uh, Jasper brings both to the table. So I think he's going to be a perfect pickup for what Auburn needs. Couldn't agree more with what you had to say. Plus, I think you hit on this just a little bit. Other people have also pointed it out. His play should get a little bit more efficient given that he will not be the center of attention this season. So I like what he oh, adds. Yeah. It's very exciting. I think the team got better, and I'm eager to see what they do with those extra two spots. Right now I'm assuming Sharif is coming back. So I'm thinking they get someone like Jones, and then maybe Ty Ty, you know, a, a young player that you can bring in as a true freshman, might not even be a, a guard, might be a different position. But that's where I'm leaning, and it's really the only thing that's getting me through these very dark times in my fandom. Yeah, I, I think you could also just lean in, and I talked about it in the mailbag this week. Like, I also think you can kind of just lean in and say, hey, you know, we'll get a guy who's a project mm -hmm. out of high school. And, like, you might be fine playing at the end of the bench this year. You might be fine even taking a red shirt, maybe. Because, like, you have 13 scholarships, but nobody plays a 13-man rotation. Even the deepest rotations in college basketball don't go that far down. Um, so, very interesting times ahead for Auburn basketball. Um, but yeah, the Zep Jasper pickup I think is just going to make this it's going to make this roster a lot more talented, and we'll see what Auburn does on the you know transfer trail for the next you know few weeks. Um, and everybody will uh, keep their eyes on on what happens with Shreve Cooper and those guys. All right, well, football, football. Let us get to football. Before we get to football, Painter, um, I want to uh, I want you to uh, to give the pitch to the folks at home on how they can support what we are doing a number of you have jumped on as ferg mentioned we appreciate that that got us over the hump what are we at mm -hmm. now we're over 700 over 700 like uh, over a dozen of you guys more than a dozen uh subscribers uh joined uh this weekend uh during uh during the live updates that we had the live observations from the open practice so a lot of you jumped on board it was a lot of fun doing that on saturday and we will get into a lot of what we what we learned from that uh then so um some of you who have been listening to the podcast, some of you have been getting the free emails uh, from back uh, when we started this thing, uh, jumped on board. Some brand new people jumped on board uh, over the weekend, and we're continuing to get a little a little bit more spring practice at that time of year. Um, so, yeah, uh, it, was, it was a pretty big weekend for us. Thank you guys for doing that. Thank you for supporting and following along. We appreciate you. If you're listening as a subscriber for the first time, we appreciate you. Rate, review, subscribe. If you're a subscriber, if you're part of the Inner Circle, do it. Leave those five stars. If you don't feel like you can contribute right now, we'd love we for you it. to rate, review, and subscribe. That helps us tremendously. Thank you guys very much for listening, for reading. This has been a lot of fun, and we feel good about where we're at right now. If you subscribe, you will get all of the stories that we write in the week. You also get a premium podcast episode, so you won't just get one a week. You will get two a week. At, uh, um, at uh, about Wednesday or Thursday is when we usually drop those. Um Monday, uh, if you're listening to this on, on Sunday evening, or if you're listening on Monday, Monday morning, uh, subscribers are going to get a pretty big uh, newsletter where we get a lot of week one info from spring practice, a lot of the stuff we saw on Saturday and some of the stuff we've heard from over the week. And kind of do a position-by-position position look at each group and kind of where they stand right now and some of the things we learned from week one of practice the first week under Brian Harson. Uh, as we do when we talk about leaving those podcast reviews, because like Painter said, it does help us a lot. Uh, if you leave a review on Apple, um, remember, five stars, 
if you if you find it in your heart to do that. But if you write a review, you can only say nice things about Painter. Uh, the latest one came from came to us last week uh, from someone whose username was just Auburn U. Uh-huh. That person said Painter equals swell dude, and I would agree. <laughs> so that's how you leave a really good five star review. Um, so appreciate that. Also, want to shout out the guy at um, and I already forgot your name um, yesterday, but there was a guy who came by during uh, the open practice and kind of um, tapped me on the shoulder and um, uh, was was told told me he was a subscriber and um, you know was very very kind uh, words about uh, Painter and I's and what we're doing now here at the Observer. I already forgot your name, but you know who you are because you told me that you listen to the pods and you read. So um, shout out to you guy that that really made that really made for an even better saturday so we appreciate that as well painter as we said at the beginning of the show we got to watch a football practice at auburn and they didn't kick us out <laughs> which is which is a, a a big deal um i think we talked about this right before we got on the air this is about as big of a win-win as possible oh yeah absolutely for for uh you know for auburn football brian harson the media the fans possible recruits i mean like everyone involved gets a lot out of out of what happened on saturday i think you wrote this in some form recently at the observer but you talk about a way to endear yourself because there's no risk everything's so new you're not going to give anything important away in a practice like this and it is such a 180 from what it is auburn fans have become accustomed to and even media members now i don't know how the media felt about it, but it seemed like you were able to glean a good bit of information from this. And more importantly, I think the fans, it's just such a big turn. Like, I, you know, nobody is acting like it was groundbreaking. Uh, I think you referenced at one point that like, you know, the line and Knicks are still working things out because it's the beginning of spring practice, which is all the more reason for Harson to just let it rip. Yeah. And, and, this is just, I mean, it was just easy. It's an easy win. It's an easy win. They, you know, Auburn, Brian Harson, with what he's bringing into Auburn right now, he is trying to sell everybody on this new way of doing things, right? It's not to say Auburn was not successful under Gus Malzahn. They definitely were at times. They definitely were successful at times under Gene Chizik and Tommy Tuffle. I mean, you can go back. This this program has not been in, like, dire straits for a long time in terms of, you know, extended issues like this is still yeah, it had its lowest uh historical season in the modern era and the next year went to a national title right like you know this is still a top 20 program in college football and, it, and so you're not having to say hey we're gonna be good of it this is not like a bruce pearl job you know where you have to say all right at one point we're gonna be good at basketball guys so just come on in and buy in like we know that auburn football is a lot better than a lot of teams in the country but you're trying to buy them in like this is a new way of doing things. This is a new um, philosophy. There's, you know, one of the things that stands out to me about Brian Harson is that he is so detail oriented, and he is a guy that has come in. and I was having a conversation with with somebody who, who's a subscriber uh, Saturday about this. It's like he he he, he comes in with just this attention to detail. It's kind of a new way of going about business at, at Auburn. Because he's bringing it in from uh, Boise State, you have to do that. You have to be that kind of that kind of guy. Like you have to do that to survive. It's hard to win in Idaho. Now, now Boise State with guys like Brian Harson, with co- the coaches who came before him, like Chris Peterson, Dan Hawkins, and guys like that. Like there has been a track record of success there. But like you have to to in order to be that good for that long in the middle of nowhere, so to speak. Like you have to do a lot of things really 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 well program wise and i think we're seeing some of the effects of that um already kind of taking shape uh, at auburn is it is that going to be enough to get auburn over the hump in the sec i don't know but you know there's there's it's just a different vibe you know we've heard that from players uh, we've heard that you know throughout this offseason it's just a different vibe and so being out there saturday and sitting out there during here you could see it and kind of feel it it is a different vibe and uh, if we are one thing on this podcast painter it's we are people of vibes (laughs) vibes only from this section um i think one of the big things is like you know you have to do it at jordan air obviously because there's only one field there but like there was a thing last week when we were talking about like hey being on the same field i think it was jg tate over at uh over at rivals who, who had the had these questions about kind of the operations it was very interesting getting 
Harson's viewpoint of that, and then, then seeing it uh, out on the field, you know, on Saturday. What happens when you get one when you practice on one field? See, they didn't do that a ton under under Malzahn. The offense and defense were separated a lot. Now they came together for team stuff, but like, you know, it was pretty spread out. On Saturday, for those of you who were there, you can attest to this, but, like, everybody was there, and even when they were doing, like, individual drills, everything was pretty close up, right? Like, guys were on the same field. And what that allows them to do is Brian Harson was everywhere. I mean, there were drills where Harson was right on top of the tight ends or right on top of the quarterbacks, or he was going and watching the defense and talking to Derek Mason, talking to the defense assistants, kind of going back and forth. And so – when everybody's on the field at the same time, he can kind of float. And it's this, like, top-down mentality of, like, here's the head coach. Here's how he wants to run things. Here's how he wants you know, wants things to go. And every little piece of it you can start to see come together. And things kind of move quickly. It's constant motion from the, from the moment they stepped on that field. they were Everybody was moving around. Everybody was doing a lot of different things. And Harson had his hand and, 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 and you know, had, had an eye on everything about it. And, He's not one of those dudes that just stands stands off to the side and observes. He gets out there and coaches. He gets out there and, and really gets into it. And I think it's that kind of approach. I think Auburn fans noticed it on, on Saturday. And we'll see. Maybe is, is that the recipe for success moving forward for Auburn? It could be. But, like, he's doing it his way. Um, and uh, I, I'm interested to see where it goes from there. And I guess you could tie some of that into the rest of his staff. You mentioned the same thing with Derek Mason. Yeah, Derek Mason. So, like, Derek Mason, you know, was very, very hands-on. And, Painter, I think you'll appreciate this. So, one of the things we noticed on on Saturday is, like, if you go and look at the safety situation, we talked about it. Ladarius Tennyson, who has been talked about by pretty much anybody who has said words about Auburn football this past week, has talked about Ladarius Tennyson. I think he is, you know, that that star kind of turn is coming for him. He's playing first team safety reps right now next to Smoke Monday. We had said before spring spring practice, I wonder what they're going to do at safety because there's not a ton of safeties right now uh, on the roster. Chris Thompson Jr., another one that has gotten a lot of love, is working some of the second team. Uh, Nehemiah Pritchett playing nickel. We'll talk more about that in a moment. But Nehemiah Pritchett more working at nickel. Amari Harvey, the uh, true freshman safety, is banged up right now, so he's limited in what he can do. You're bringing in two more safeties later on, um, you know, after after spring ball. So what do you do at second-team safety? Well, one of the guys that Smoke Monday mentioned on Friday is someone who could really help them out right now. And a guy that I saw Derek Mason take a lot of time, one-on-one time, talking through things with him, working things through them, was a walk-on and Auburn High na- Auburn High's very own Auburn native, mm-hmm. Trey Elston, mm-hmm. playing second-team safety. And, and, Elston, and Elston looked like he belonged out there um, and, and held his own. And so he's standing in the gap right now as Auburn's not very deep at safety. They're trying some other guys at nickel and, and stuff like that. But to see Derek Mason kind of give that – one-on-one attention and focus time to a walk-on, I thought, I mean, that 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 stood out to me. Now, is Trey Elson going to be a guy who plays a lot of snaps in the fall? Probably not unless something changes. But, like, you know, there's a lot of um, – it goes something, back to something that Harson said on Saturday after, after, after practice when he talked to this. He said, like, everybody's getting reps right now. They're having to learn who all can play where. And I think it was Philip Marshall who, who, who brought this question up to him was like, you know – are there people who are low on the depth chart might have been forgotten about by the last staff that could come up and, and be contributors this year? And he said, you know, Harson said, I don't know who those guys could be, but like, yeah, we're trying everybody. And you see it down all the way down to, to the walk-ons. And I thought that was pretty cool to, cool to witness. I'm glad that there's a little bit of depth there. I don't, is depth even, even the right word given that they're actually thin and we're talking about a walk-on that's somebody that could potentially – I mean, he, he's, as you said, he looks like he belongs, even though I don't think we really believe him to be someone that's going to play a ton this season. Yeah, I, I think it's just, you know, right now we have a banged-up scholarship safety. You're moving some guys around. You want to you wanna get, you know, get people involved and, and help see, hey, you know, if, if we have a rash of injuries or whatnot, can we trust you to go out there and, and make some plays? Uh, for us and kind of fill in and, and get them ready that way. And that top to bottom, like everybody 
gets reps. It's early in practice, so I think that I think that makes makes a lot of sense. I mean, we also saw with Devin Geis, who has been here for at Auburn for a while, uh, Opelika guy, um, playing playing a good bit of nickel on Saturday with the second and third teams. Like, you need guys like that because you're not at full capacity right now. You've got a rash of injuries happening uh, right now. There are a number of dudes who aren't coming in until after spring ball. You could pick up some more transfers and some positions over the summer. So what do you do right now? You need some of these walk-ons and you need some of these guys that might have been overlooked, you know, and, and, and kind of cast off as, you know, they're probably not going to make much of a difference in, uh, in the la- under the last staff to come in and step up. So I thought that was really cool to see, um, you know, what, was, what, what that was going. Painter, if you had to – I think you mentioned them a second ago. If you had to pick out a position group or a player or whatever that, you know, caught your attention when you were kind of going through the observations and stuff like that, like what, you know, what, what caught your eye from what we learned on Saturday? Well, I'm going to wait on Bo because we're going to be talking about him for months and, you know, I, I don't know what else to say except that, I hope that he has the season that I thought he would have last year this season. But for now, let's hold on that. What do you think of the offensive line and what we saw? Because it seemed like there was a real positive vibe around the defensive line, and in particular, a couple of guys on that line, which means was it actually a bad day for the offensive line, Ferg, or was the defensive line just a lot better than what we got consistently in this past season? And again, this is all, you know... One week of spring ball, and we said this, I think, every year that we have done some form of a radio show or a podcast together, the defense has inherent advantages at the beginning of spring ball. That That's the, you know, that's the million-dollar question, right? Like, when, when, you, when you are scrimmaging and if somebody makes a play, is it, Oh, was this was one side bad and the or was it the other side being good? Like, like it's you know, I think depending on who you talk to, will say that because if an offensive line coach, if you give up a sack, the offensive line coach says, "Hey, we should have done better." A defensive line coach might say, "Hey, we we did you know we played well on that play." Um, my thing for the offensive line is I think a lot of people want to sit here and say, "There's got to be some shakeups, got to see some 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 new stuff." There's you know there's gonna have to be a lot of that coming to the offensive line because they got to get better. Auburn in week one has leaned on what has, what was already established, right? So that's Alec Jackson at left tackle, Tayshawn Manning at left guard, Nick Brahms at center, uh, Keandre Jones at right guard, and Bradarius Hammer right tackle. This is the group that finished last season as starters. You don't have Brandon Council right now. You didn't have Brandon Council in the second half of the season. He's hurt. You know, we'll see if he how much he is a factor, you know, once he's able to get healthy. But they are leaning on like, hey, this is the five that played a lot last season towards the end of the year. These are the guys that, you know, we're going to lean on them right now and then adjust from there. That second group on the offensive line, I will say the tackles, um, which were Austin Troxel and Brennan Coffey, two guys that also got time last season. When they started doing some team stuff yesterday, um, they were kind of rotating in a little bit more than the guards were. I think the guards, especially with Council out right now, the guards – in the center, you kind of know what you got on the interior with Manning and Jones and Brahms because Council is a guy who would be cutting into that. But right now he's hurt. So they're already trying to get some competition going at tackle. We've heard them talk about getting some getting some transfers at offensive tackle. But they're leaning on that experience. So if you're looking for a shakeup, if you're looking for, oh, wow, is you know player X stepping up, I think it's a little early for that on the offensive line because I think they're leaning on experience um, and just saying, hey, we'll let it sort itself out as time goes on because, you know, you're in week one. Um, People have asked about Killian Zire. He was working second and third team-ish. I think he's just still trying to get back to full speed because, you know, he he didn't play last year. It was that that, that knee injury. Um, uh, The other thing that I think a lot of people pointed out who were there on Saturday, Will Friend um, will coach you up. What's going on here? I, I think that was the I think that was a line I heard a lot on Saturday. Um he is uh, that Rodney Garner mentality. He he'll he'll bark. He'll bark at his guys. Um I'll tell you one thing, and this might come as a surprise to some people, just because he, they don't know him as much. The dude I heard really get after his guys the most in practice on Saturday, 
Burt Watts, outside linebackers coach, coaching those edges, and he was really getting after it in special teams drills uh, as he is the special teams coordinator. This coaching staff, from top to bottom, they've got some dudes that are going to rattle cages. Um, not to say that that was not – I mean, Gus Malzahn would rattle your cage at times. Everybody wants to talk about him not cussing and all that, but, like, again, we're not going to get into speech and, and the words we use and, you know, what works and what doesn't work. I, I'm not I'm not getting into all that um, because I also think that's, you know, be who you are. Be be true to your personality. Players will see through if you're if you're faking it or if you're, you know, trying to be somebody you're not. Um, but I think this staff is like, these guys are going to be assertive. They're going to be, they're going to really get you through it. Um, Mike Bobo was very, uh, from a distance, you could see he was very animated at times with what he was seeing from his quarterbacks. Uh, Brian Harson pulled Bo Nix aside on more than one occasion to kind of talk him through and kind of just like, you know, show him some of the footwork, footwork, stuff like that. This is a, this is a coaching staff that's going to, that's going to get after it. Um, and I think I think people are going to like to see that as well. I'm not saying that the last staff didn't do that. I mean, obviously, you just mentioned Painter Rodney Garner. Notoriously, uh, a notorious energizer, if you will. He Kevin Kevin Steele? <laughs> sure, I mean, sure. we all saw those videos from him in, in, in the locker room. Like, that'll do that. Anyway, I'll just say, though, those, like, this staff, these new guys, some of these guys we don't know as much, um, are really, really getting to it. And I just wonder how much of that is going to kind of seep through as they try to establish this new culture, this new way of going about things. We talked about how big these dudes have gotten this offseason. That power, that grit, that, you know, whatever, all the all the buzzwords you want to use. I think that also kind of seeps through with, with what you're seeing from this coaching staff. All right. My fan favorite and soon to be Auburn fan favorite, Javarius Johnson, talk to me about yeah. him. Talk to me about our so, short king. So the short king, Javarius Johnson. This was an interesting. This is an interesting day because uh, so wide receivers on on Saturday. Remember, Xavier Capers banged up, Shutter Jackson banged up. Right now, Just keep that in mind. The top receivers we saw with the first team mostly were Kobe Hudson, um, Elijah Canyon, and Malcolm Johnson Jr. Pretty pretty solid that you would think. You know, Hudson and Canyon kind of make sense. Malcolm Johnson. I think talent wise is 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 up there with most of those dudes just because he had to reclassify. I think he kind of gets a little bit of an asterisk next to him. Then there was Javarius Johnson who came in with the second team and then sometimes in the first team rotated in there, used him in the slot. I felt it felt like every time Javarius Johnson was on the field and they were running some drill where the ball is in the air, he was getting it right. Whether it was they were going against air or where they were going against a live defense, whether they were doing seven on seven work. Javarius Johnson was getting the ball in his hands. They were getting quick passes out to him and letting him work, you know, moving around in motion, doing a lot of different things. Now, he was more slot than outside, but they kind of moved him around a little bit. Um, we've been waiting on this, right? Like, we've been waiting on this from Javarius Johnson. He was so, so productive at Hewitt Trustful. He's had injury problems the last couple of years. He's had a lot of guys in front of him, you know, guys who are going to the NFL right now. This is an opportunity for him to kind of take a step up, and the fact that he just kept getting open and kept getting the ball in his hands, I think is a really, really good sign because he's a unique talent. A lot of those receivers for Auburn are kind of the same build. They're a little bit – they're on the taller end. Um, they're you know they're quick, kind of more straight-line guys. Javarius Johnson's got a lot of speed, but he's the shorter, shiftier type of type of wide receiver, and uh, I think Auburn's, Auburn's taking advantage of it. And uh, that was one of those – he was a guy that caught my eye a lot on Saturday. That you know, you, you watched him and said, "Oh wow, Six is getting the ball a lot," and uh, and that's I think that's a really good sign for Auburn in the future. I think it's a really good sign for Painter. <laughs> yes, yes, sir. And you uh, you had Lee Hunter as one of your breakout spring guys, and you said that he was willing to let people catch those hands. Um, Lee Hunter was has some really violent hands. He's working with that second team defensive line right now, kind of rotating in. Um, you can see, you know, dude who was very productive in high school. Uh, he was just as really strong at the point attack. When they did a lot of offensive line, defensive line works, letting those guys, letting those guys hit, thump up front. Um, he was he was letting them have it. Now I'll tell you, the big breakout guy on the defensive line right now, not right now though, is one Jeremiah Wright, and he is he is he is turning into pretty pretty uh, impressive of a of a success story early on here. Now. We saw Tyrone Truesdell play some of the first team a lot, but there was a lot of first team reps where you saw Jeremiah Wright at uh, defensive tackle. Now, Jeremiah Wright, 
to catch you up to speed for the Auburn football Tigers. He is currently listed at six foot five, three hundred and thirty-eight pounds. Big old dude. Uh, he's also from Selma, which will uh, which will uh, be be a good good sign for uh, for our, our friend our friend of the program, Austin. And he is a yes. Selma guy. Yes, he is a so, Selma guy, a proud Selma guy. And uh, how about that? A little a little love for uh, a young King Austin. Yeah. So I mean, y- y- there's there's. A lot that we saw him last season, he played against South Carolina. He played a decent bit against Northwestern. He's starting to kind of come into his own. He's a monstrous size. Um, played a lot up front. Towards the end of the season, we saw him saw him get on the field. This is a dude who started his career at Auburn as an offensive tackle. And then they said, nope, defensive tackle is where you put. So even when Auburn needed tackles, they were like, defensive line is probably a better fit for him. He is really He's really turned it loose here. Uh, early on, we have heard about him a lot. We have seen, we saw him a lot on Saturday. There was a, you know, when they went to this three-down front, when they went that with a true three-man front, three-four front, you saw a lot of, you know, Colby Wooden and Tyrone Truesdale, and you know somebody like, uh, you know, sometimes you'd see Zacchaeus Walker, sometimes you'd see Jeremiah Wright. But then they would go to this, like, on a third down package where they'd put two down linemen. You would put Wooden next to right at defense tackle and then stand up two guys on the edge. This kind of pass rushing package. So this big guy is in there in thir- on third downs. Uh, he is a guy that they're wanting out there. And there's a video somebody uh, tweeted out because um, there, were, there were a lot of videos because, you know, obviously fans could be there and watch. Um, there were a couple of videos where Wright was in drills and he was – pounding some offensive linemen and just like really you know you know bull rushing them um that's a really impressive term because Auburn needs guys to step up defense tackle you don't have Daquan Newkirk anymore you don't have you know Big Cap is an edge guy but you don't have him anymore uh as well and and Truesdale coming back is a big big thing but who's next even though Auburn's got Jay Hardy and they've got Lee Hunter and they've got a number of guys who can play those interior positions Jeremiah Wright stepping up, I think, is a, is, a, is a really, really big deal. Speaking of our very large boys, talk to me about a position group that may be the one of most interest to Auburn fans. It might not be the one that is the most important, but given what we know about the staff on offense, their desire to use tight ends, and even the fullback, you mentioned J.J. Pegues looked excellent. Did you see anything from Frazier? I know you referenced the deal had an awesome one-handed catch. Let's talk tight ends. I was very impressed with Pegues. They moved him around a lot. They let him do several different things on the field. Auburn ran a a set with a true fullback. They ran some I formation. Now, taking some snaps under center, these quarterbacks ain't quite used to it. Bo Nix hasn't done it a ton. Uh, Demetrius Davis, I think, hasn't done it very much in his life, and there were some opportunities where that kind of showed on Saturday. But they went I formation, and Luke Deal and J.J. Pegues got some fullback snaps. And Luke Deal... There was a they were running a they were running a, a a you know team offense versus defense thing where Luke Deal came through the middle and picked up a linebacker on a lead block and just blew him out of the water. Sean Shivers took advantage of it. Luke Deal, he was the guy who I watched on Saturday and Pegues played well and Pegues had that he had that crackback block where he kind of came over across the formation, picked up Zagov McLean on a, on a blitz pickup and, and knocked him to the ground which there were several pictures of that and videos of it on, on social media on Saturday. But Luke Deal was the one that really stood out to me, and he was a guy that I, I was impressed with last season. He was Auburn's – he's probably Auburn's best run blocker on the team, like including the offensive lineman. He graded out very well. When, he, when Auburn had him on the field last season, he made a difference. Now, he's an athlete, and we have not seen him catch the ball a ton, but he had a one-handed catch. He was running a variety of routes. Auburn fans, if you want to get excited about the position group, that tight end position group, you know, they were playing Brandon Frazier split out wide, doing some things. Him and Tyler Fromm did a lot of stuff, kind of like big slot receiver. We saw Pegues do that some as well and deal, and deal, but those two guys getting a lot of it. Landon King getting involved as well, the freshman. They're trying to get show him the ropes early. If you want to get excited, again, we've talked about it all throughout this offseason. Brian Harson's used the tight end a ton in his career at Boise State. Also, there was a drill where they did quarterbacks and tight ends. Those were the only guys working. And it was kind of like a pass skeleton thing where they just ran a, a bunch of routes with the tight end and the quarterback. All the quarterbacks were working on getting the balls to them. 
I watched Auburn tight ends on Saturday run corner routes, run drag routes, run post, run quick outs, run digs, run a bunch of different set like types of routes we have not seen from tight ends at Auburn in a long time, even you know some regular receivers as well. And guess who was on top of that drill looking at it from every angle, moving around, watching the tight ends, watching the quarterbacks? Brian Harson, very, very involved with the tight end work. So, Auburn fans, I know you're in, and Painter, you've, you've told me you're one of this as well, these guys as well. Believe it when you see it. Well, man, I'm telling you, you might want to start believing it because he is very, very involved with those tight ends. All right, so what's the thing from this nice day of, of practice that fans got to see that if you are being objective or if you're putting yourself even in my shoes, is there something where you're actually walking away from practice feeling excited? Because one of the things I've said is that I'm happy about the hire. I'm happy about the way the staff came together. I'm excited about what it is they're trying to sell us on in the direction they're taking the program. But the thing that I can't shake right now is how good Alabama and Georgia are. Mm. And so with that sort of lingering behind me, how do I sort of tune that out after a week of spring practice and go, you know what? It's early, but you can be genuinely excited about this. So I think I'm going to wrap up talking about a couple areas where I think there's going to be a lot more polish. So I think it's good right now we're hitting the hitting the positive here. If you're an Auburn fan right now and you're looking for excitement, and this, this isn't going to be a big surprise to you after watching yesterday's practice, with Derek Mason in charge and with them making this transition to this system, they got to learn a lot. And there's a lot of newness to look at, especially up front and in the back end. I came away from that being very, very impressed in week one of a new system, just how good the, that defense looked for Auburn. And they're not at full strength at this at this point, but this was a defense that is going to be, I think they're going to be legit. I think they're going to, you know, last year was a was a step back from what we've expected under, under Kevin Steele. I think even with the new system and the new things to go back, this Auburn defense I think has the potential to be great. Brian Harson will shoot you straight. You, know, you can be very nitpicky about a lot of things right now, He's very honest about his guys. Afterwards, though, he has zero complaints or anything to nitpick, I think, about his linebackers. Here's the thing that he said afterwards. That front seven now, that D-line in particular, those guys have to be on point because we've got two linebackers back there who are really good. Zacoby and Owen, those guys can play. They're very focused. They're very detailed with what we're doing. And I wrote about this on Thursday at the Observer. They are going to be the heartbeat of that defense. And I think Zacoby McLean and Owen, and Owen Papo have been, they are built for this defense. It's read and react. It funnels a lot of stuff to their to the middle linebackers. It's going to ask them to do so many different things in terms of blitzing and coverage and, and, and run stopping. They're going to be asked to do a lot. And these guys are fired up playing that system. And when you saw them on Saturday, they look like that heartbeat, that spine of that defense is going to be strong. You get Truesdale, guys like Jeremiah Wright you know, coming up, Colby Wooden as well. And then you got Smoke Monday over the top. Smoke Monday looked great in coverage. There were some times last season where he, he kind of got caught out in coverage a little bit. When I watched him kind of do some one-on-one stuff, he did a really good job, I thought, of sticking his man and being disruptive. The move of moving Nehemiah Pritchett from corner to play more nickel, I think, makes a ton of sense. Um, you have a ton of cornerbacks. You, you're bringing in another guy uh, this you know this offseason, Drayshon Miller. So Pritchett, physical, disruptive, gets guys down pretty quickly after they catch the ball. Him playing nickel is a big deal. The edge rushers are going to have a lot to learn. Saturday, we saw a lot of Derek Hall. We saw a lot of T.D. Moultrie. We saw T.D. Moultrie do a split, which was very cool. <laughs> um, but T.D. Moultrie had a good day. Jaron Handy looks a lot more athletic and a lot slimmed down. He looks ready to play that outside linebacker position, that edge rushing position. A lot of mixing and matching. I just, I mean, that defense was very, very impressive. And you see Derek Mason and that staff, Schmetting, Watts, Nick Eason up front. Um, Zach Etheridge on the outside with those cornerbacks. It's just, uh, it, it, it really, I was really impressed with that with that group. Now they have a better back, you know, thing to build on because Auburn's defense has been great for a while. And he, and, and and you know, uh, Harson said that afterwards. He's like, you know, they're inheriting a really good defense. Um, but I, I think you know that group looks really really good. 
and they're going to continue to get better and, and build their depth and, and round things out. I think that first string defense, if all the pieces can kind of come together, especially now that you have Tennyson playing back there at safety and you and you feel confident about Pritchett at nickel if that's where they end up staying with, um, I'm high on him. I'm, I'm high on him. I think Derek Mason's going to have a, an awesome defense next season. I don't think there's going to be some adjustments, and it might not be perfect from the beginning, but I think by the end of the season they're going to be really good. They've got some time to break it in. I'm excited as well. I am also leaning back on the thing we've talked about so much over the last three to five years, which is your defense being excellent can only get you so far. But given, yep, yep. I mean, given what you're talking about, at least there is something to be positive about. What were some of the things that you thought needed to be cleaned up over the next few weeks? It's early. We just watched one practice, but that offensive line still is going to have to take a step forward. <laughs> um, in the in the in the team drills, the defensive line was getting in the backfield a lot. Uh, they were sending guys like Papo and, and McLean on blitzes as well, and they were getting home. Um, they were being disruptive. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say the offensive line played poorly, but like that pass protection, which was an issue last season, like Auburn's pass rush was getting home, and, and quarterbacks were under pressure. Uh, Bo Nix had, had some stretches where he was his the balls he was throwing were not good. Um, like I was saying, Brian Harson pulled him off to the side. He taught him through his footwork on several occasions and worked through it. Now, there was this one time where, you know, they did a series and Harson spent a lot of time talking with Knicks. They go to the next play. Uh, they, go, they go to play. Pocket breaks down. He rolls to his right. He finds some time to set his feet in fire instead of, you know, kind of throwing it off a little bit wildly. It's, it's a throw on the run, but it's a lot more of a secure footwork and more stable footwork. He throws about a 35-yard strike to your boy Javarius Johnson yes. downfield. It's a great throw and a great play, right? So, Knicks, it's the same thing. It's week one of practice, too. The problems Auburn had last season. Auburn's offensive line had some issues in pass protection. Bo Nix has been inconsistent, especially with his footwork and getting out of the pocket and, and you know, his accuracy off of that. Surprise, surprise. After one week of practice, those are two things that I still think that Auburn's got to improve on. It's early, though, right? You got... Mike Bobo and Brian Harson both working hard with him. You got Will Friend trying to instill a new type of mentality on that on that offensive line. It's going to be a work in progress, and it's going to be a work in progress for a while. But again, we see this all the time. We saw it last season. You know, it's my it's my whole thing that I've always said about Bo Nix. Bo Nix will make a few plays a game. You know, maybe 10, 12 plays, throws, whatever you want to call them, where he looks like a former five star. It just needs to happen a lot more consistently, right? And we saw some plays like that on Saturday where it's like, okay, this is the guy. One thing to keep in mind, though, is, is that they're not messing around uh, with like, oh, is, is this a battle or anything? Like, no, he's, he's, he's the first-team guy. There was one time where the, the first-team offense had Demetrius Davis run in it, and I was like, oh, wow, that's interesting. And then I looked over across the field, and it's like, oh, that's because, he, you know, he, they're running a lot of wide receiver stuff over there, and they're letting Bo throw to a lot of the wide receivers. Okay, that makes sense. So, yeah, those things are a work in progress. And I think they're going to be for a while. Do you want to talk about Demetrius Davis? I think we should. Grant Loy has some sort of injury. I heard hamstring, mm. so he wasn't 100%. Trey Lindsay, the walk-on, was getting some work with the twos. Saw Australia Garnett and Demetrius Davis uh, get some work as well, you know, rotating in. Bo was, uh, took almost all of the first-team reps, uh, if not all of them, when we were out there. They did that running drill where they let Demetrius kind of take some snaps under center and do some handoffs to tanking those guys. Um, that eye formation specifically was one of them. But, you know, Demetrius Davis, I I was impressed with him. Um, I think this is going to be something that you're going to appreciate maybe, Painter. He's listed at six feet. <laughs> I don't think he is. I mean, he might be getting a little bit of a benefit of the doubt there. I could be wrong. But uh, oh no, they, I'm sorry. They got him listed at five ten. He was six foot in high school. That's what they're ah, listening okay. Yeah, five ten, five ten, probably right. Uh, five ten two oh two though. He is a he is a thick quarterback. Uh, shout out to Ryan Starrett. Uh, thick Marshall is is very <laughs> a is very good approximation for him. You think for him coming out of high school is a lot of people were talking about like when he went to like elite eleven camps and stuff like that. His arm talent didn't like wow sure. a lot of those scouts away and, and analysts. I thought he had some pretty good zip on the ball. You know, it wasn't a perfect tight spiral every single time, but you know, he was he was firing it in there with with some good uh some good authority. I, I liked what I saw of him. I think, you know, when the pocket broke down, him getting a scramble and kind of make some plays like that. 
We saw him. We saw him kind of get out on the run. He's very athletic. Yeah, that's very, where I want to see. He's very dynamic his game, and maybe I won't ever get a chance to in spring ball. But like, will we hear whispers of Davis doing some exciting things in live scrimmages? He just, I mean, he looked as advertised. This is a very athletic guy that I think is you know early on in his his career as a as a quarterback at the college level. He's going to have a lot to learn. He's going to have to work his way up the depth chart. He's going to have to you know got to get adjusted to everything like that. Uh, but I think when he was with the reserves, he was he was firing the ball pretty well. I think he did a lot of stuff like what Bo Bo does from time to time, where it's like he gets out of the pocket, he can scramble, he can take off, he can he can make some guys miss. Um, very similar in that aspect to uh, to to what we've seen for, seen from Bo. So I think there's a lot there's a lot to like about uh, his upside in the future. It's just they seem very clear right now that Bo's the number one guy. They're rotating some of the backups around him and doing doing a lot of stuff with that, but. We'll see. Um, one thing Brian Harson said after practice is like, we'll continue to give some reps to everybody. And as we get deep into practice, then we're going to start getting some separation. Then we'll start giving more reps to certain guys. We'll have a depth chart, stuff like that. So it'll be interesting to see where Demetrius Davis falls in line there. Um, but yeah, I mean, there were, I, I, I'd be surprised if he's taken a ton of under center snaps in his life. And there were a couple fumbles off of that. And it's just like, you know, that's something they got to get used to. Because as Brian Harson said after practice, we're gonna do that, and we're gonna run with some fullbacks, and we're gonna do, we're gonna we're gonna do some two tight end stuff, and it's gonna be it's gonna be a lot of that kind of kind of change happening. So it's just guys are gonna have to get adjusted to it. Well, I guess this is gonna go a little bit off the beaten path, but I feel like this past week there was some grumblings about uh, Jarrett Stidham, and you know Seth Williams mm. mentioned routes and so i find the timing of this interesting that there have been you know a number of comments where there's sort of this insinuation lying under it all that gus did players a disservice and as you're talking about like the differences of what this offense will be do you have a rebuttal to some of that i think this offense is going to be more diverse i think this offense is going to run a lot of different routes i think they're going to do some things where they go under center they're gonna have some. They're gonna do some power things. They're gonna play fast at times, but it's gonna be as as Hartson said, kind of a pro level pace to it. It's gonna be a different offense. This is a more of a pro style offense than what we have seen from Gus Malzahn in the past. Here's the thing about the Gus Malzahn offense: when it worked, it really worked. You know, it was lethal sometimes in its simplicity. We have seen that at the highest level of college football and even some of the highest levels of NFL football, where you can be lethal without being the most complex thing in the world. When it didn't work, though, there weren't quite as many adjustments off of it and as many tweaks of it off of it, and that's where you can get into some real trouble. I think the Harson offense and Mike Bobo and them putting their heads together and kind of implementing some of each other's stuff into this offense is going to have answers to things, and they're going to be able to build some things around what guys are good at, but they'll be able to adjust, I think, a little bit more. And yeah, is this offense going to be a better fit for a team, for for guys playing in the NFL going forward? Yeah, yeah, I think so because it's more of a pro style system. But I think the ultimate thing to keep keep in mind, whether you're Brian Harson, whether you're Gus Malzahn, whether you're, you know, Urban Meyer or Nick Saban or Kirby Smart or Ryan Day or whoever you are, Dabo Swinney. When you're a college football coach at this level, your number one objective is to win football games by any means necessary on the field, right? Your job is not to produce the most perfect NFL prospects. There's a number of teams in the NFL right now, or colleges that have a number of teams. uh, Let's say that again. There's a number of teams, um, college teams, that have more NFL guys right now than Auburn does. I'm gonna read them off to you, right? You ready, Painter? Yeah. I'm. Gonna, I, I need you to. I need you to to help me out on this one. I'm going to. I want you to c- come up with a with a running number in your head, and say, would you trade where this program is at for what Auburn is? And it goes with their success. You know, say the Malzahn era, so almost the last decade. Will you have traded 2013 and beyond for Auburn for what this team has? Okay. Can you do it? Oh, I'm ready, baby. Lay it on me. All right. All right, here we go. This one's easy. Alabama. 
Okay, who wouldn't want to have that team's success? Right. I think Alabama's an easy one. Ohio State. Fine, same like thing. I mean, they haven't had the championship. They've won a title. But they're pretty much in the playoff every year, and they're winning their conference every year. So fine, yeah. I mean, that's hard to deny. LSU. <laughs> that might be TBD at the end of this season, <laughs> baby. So they do have a national championship, and they have taken taking into task these last few. The, these, I think you got to say decade. yes, given that they've come out yeah. on top of that rivalry over the last. You know that that spans back farther than Malzahn, but yeah. Remember, this is the last decade, though, and I think LSU's a good one. All right, you ready? Florida. I'm going to take Auburn right now. Michigan. <laughs> yeah, I'm taking Auburn. Georgia. I'll take Georgia similarly to LSU. Yep. They've dominated that rivalry, and they have they have won their division consistently. We can talk about why that is and that Alabama's not in it, but nonetheless, uh, since Kirby's gotten there, life has been good. Penn State. Nah, I'm taking Auburn. Miami. Auburn. Clemson. Yeah, Clemson. <laughs> okay. Notre Dame. LOL, Auburn. Oklahoma. Oklahoma. Okay. Florida State. They're in shambles, Auburn. <laughs> Iowa. <laughs> Auburn. Corn boys. Washington. Auburn. Stanford. Auburn. Texas A&M. Auburn. All right, so... We had 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 teams that have produced. Right now, they have more NFL players than Auburn does. And you just named only six of them that you would trade places with. Okay? So that means there are nine other teams that produce more NFL players than Auburn does. Right? But you you won't trade that. My point is, is that under Malzahn, the goal was to win football games. The goal was to win and compete for championships. And towards the end, Auburn, Auburn, the powers that be, whatever, determined that they were not at the level at that to get there. You can produce more well-rounded NFL draft prospects and be in Iowa, right, or a Washington or something like that. You wouldn't trade their success for that. So when it comes to this offense that Auburn ran, the talent level – Guys are going to have bigger learning curves when they get into the NFL, and it might not make them as good of prospects. But I think it was Stidham's quarterback coach who made the point. is like, yeah, they, they this offense also produced Cam Newton. The, <laughs> the, the fact that it was is that Cam Newton's Cam Newton, right? Like, elite talent will be fine. We saw Trey Mason and, and Greg Robinson, you know, get get high, highly rated. You know, they were first, you know, first rounders, second rounders, whatever, off of it. Um, on Johnson was a high, high, high round of draft pick. Um, so I mean, Braden Smith was another was another good example on the offensive line. It's not going to make the most perfect NFL prospects in the world, but that is not your job to do. So is this offense moving forward for Auburn going to produce better pro, better, more NFL ready prospects? Probably, probably. Now they also have to continue. You're going to have to recruit that, that talent as high level as Malone yeah. did, and like they may well right. do that. But do I don't. That. I mean, it's too early to know how that's going to shake out. Are they going to recruit at basically a nine to twelve range? Exactly. So that's the other thing to keep in mind. So I think moving forward is like, yeah, when Gus Malzahn's offense worked, it really, really worked. Now it did not have, did not quite adjust as well. It did not adapt, whatever you want to call it. It fell off towards the end in its overall production. This offense looks like it's because it's more pro style, it's gonna probably have more answers to make those adjustments, but those are still going to have to happen. And Harson is going to have to get that recruiting going. And I think when this dead period comes to an end, as a lot of people think it's going to in the next few months, they're gonna have a lot of work to do to maintain that level of recruiting talent and talent at Auburn. So Auburn fans, they might be able to run some more routes and do some different things, pro style, you know, kind of pro stylish wise. That'll get guys better prepared for the next level. But remember, you hired Brian Harson not because you wanted to produce more NFL, you know, more perfect NFL prospects. You got Brian Harson because you want to win games more consistently and compete for championships more consistently at Auburn, right? So this offense is not going to lead the nation in scoring. This offense is not going to lead the nation in yards per game or yards per play or anything like that. I think Malzahn's offense at its best probably has a higher ceiling in that regard uh, just because of the way it works and the, and the framework of it. But what you're going to do, though, is say, hey, we're going to be 
more dangerous to play and we're going to be more consistent off of it. And that's the exchange. Because what have we said all along, Painter? The Brian Harson hire is not a flash-in-the-pan quick fix. Auburn's not going to have all their problems done at the end of the 2021. They're not going to all be magically fixed. It's about setting a standard and building off of it and being prepared for whenever Alabama perhaps takes a step back, which might be a while from now, for when Georgia is not quite as good as they are, you know, for LSU or all that, and get more consistently up to that level. And I think part of that is going to be getting a more consistent offense, even if it's not the flavor of the month like Texas is chasing uh, when they hired Steve Sarkeesian. (laughs) Well, I got you down a rabbit hole. Is there anything else in this open practice that was worth delving back into? We've gone a little more than an hour. I think there are some positives to take away. I'm a little nervous about the QB and offensive line stuff, but I will. You will be nervous about that until they play Penn State. There's really nothing. I mean, you know, I was singing Bo's praise all offseason, and, you know, apparently he looked, you know, pretty good in practice, but we'll find out with that offensive line and that, and that, that guy does uh, against good competition soon enough. I think that's a good spot to leave it. Um, like I said, if you subscribe to the Auburn Observer, which you can for $6 a month or $60 a year at auburnobserver.com, Monday morning you will you will get, or if you are listening to this on Monday, have gotten uh, or get access to if you, if you sign up to, today. Um, we're going to have a big kind of position-by-position position look, notebook, newsletter whatever you want to call it just a lot of info from what we've learned from the open practice in the first week of practice as we head into week two because there is a lot to take in a lot of information that we were able to get uh through this open practice and a lot of stuff we've had early on so it's been it was a good week one of practice and like we said we appreciate all you guys for joining up those of you who have joined on and subscribed to the observer we appreciate you those of you who continue to listen to the podcast each week we appreciate you guys as well we will uh, we'll talk to the inner circle later this week. Painter, any final thoughts? Well, we have more good basketball news by then, Ferg. I think so. All right, Painter's calling a shot. Transfer, possibly. Painter's going to give you the scoop. 